Who will you emerge as when you no longer conform to the rigid ideas you've been bought and sold into? When you no longer bow down, play small, or shrink yourself to fit their standards? I see you. I hear you. I feel you. And I am here with you. This is Addicted to the Man, the show where we challenge the status quo and evoke radical change. Be prepared to receive life-changing transmissions while you cry, laugh, celebrate, and liberate yourself. Let's have a talk. So this is take two, (laughs) second time around, because I could not save anything from our first interview. Unfortunately, there were some really juicy parts and I was for sure that I could could do something with it, but it it just didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. That's okay. So here we are second time around. And I do know that people like to, you know, we're, we're always so eager to find out what is your credential? Why do you feel like you, you know what you're talking about? So I want you to introduce yourself and tell us what it is that makes you an expert in some of the topics that we're going to be talking about. Okay. Um, so my name is Lauren Shields and I am, um, a healer by trade. I always wanted to be a teacher. I started teaching when I was, um, in high school. I started teaching ballet when I was in high school. Um, I, my, um, undergraduate degree and my master's degree are both in communication sciences and disorders. And that is all about healing, um, or, and supporting, um, diagnosing and treating, um, communication disorders, um, swallowing disorders, cognitive disorders. So I've got two degrees in that. And I worked in that for about 14 years, um, both in the school setting and in, um, geriatric, uh, subacute rehab. From there, uh, my I also have a background in dance. I'm a classically trained ballerina. Um, I started taking Pilates when I was about 12 years old. Um, started doing yoga when I was about 19, or sorry, 17 years old, and um, and started teaching then um, yoga probably when I was 22, 21, 22, um, and then I recently in the past five years became certified. So I am um, an experienced 200 hour um, yoga teacher with Yoga Alliance. Um, I'm prenatal certified. I'm a registered prenatal uh, perinatal movement um, teacher. And um, I know that you had um, the last couple of years, you've had um, some shifts in your career that you have made. And most recently, I noticed that you are uh, offering a virtual uh, course uh, named Meet Your Shadow. Mm. So I wanted to dive into that shame, guilt, judgment of self and others, Mm. uh, self-punishment. Yeah. So probably around, so I went through, um, I've had a lot of shifts in the past, um, couple years. Um, I, last year, 2020, um, my partner and I decided to separate and, and no longer cohabitate, um, and co-parent in the same home. Um, and, and then, you know, 2020 happened and my studio closed down and it really sent me into it. It really opened up a space for me to do a lot of healing for myself. And I became the student again in that time before that I was teaching, I was working all the time. 
And so I took the journey into, into my shadow. And this was a space that I really stayed like in the fluff of spirituality and in the fluff of like yoga for a really long time. I've been doing yoga for a long, long time, but this was the first time that I actually allowed myself to have this kind of like initiation into shadow. Um, and it was because I, I had experienced a really, um, toxic relationship. I was ending a really toxic relationship. I was ending a very abusive relationship. And there was this acknowledgement, like, how did I get here? What had happened? What brought me into that space was it was an acknowledgement that I had gotten here again. I had recreated this pattern all over again, this abusive pattern. And I was really past the point of being mad at him or mad at the situation. I was like, what is getting me there. And so I took the past or took about a year and a half to really dive into my shadow and digging into, you know, what it is that, what it is that I do with partners that gets into that pattern. And that was getting into my shadow and understanding my shadow. And, um, and so, you know, that's that um, program is really something that I created just out of what I learned about myself. I learned that there was a lot of shame. There was a lot of shame for being imperfect. And that comes from, you know, feelings of, you know, being neglected, being abandoned, Um always feeling like I never quite belonged, um, wherever I was. And, um, and I realized that shame was this, this, like, like, you know, if your shadow, you have your shadow, I always say like shadow is like the basement door of your home, right? People know that it's some people know the door is there. Some people know the door is there and they open up the door and they look down and they may close the door because they're not ready for that. But I really believe that shame is the lock on the door. Shame is, you know, if it's a door like on the floor, it's like the heavy boulder that sits on top of it. And it really keeps you from knowing yourself um, because we're so ashamed that that even exists, that it exists, that I am this type of person, or I have these personality traits, um, or that I have this behavior. Um, sex is, was one of those things for me. I had a lot of shame around sex. I had a lot of repression around sex and, um, it was a shame. And, and I remember in 2019, I went to a postpartum doula training and I remember speaking up in this group of like 45 women that I didn't know. And we were talking about, um, loss and I raised my hand and I said, I had an abortion seven, eight years ago, and I've never really told anyone about it. And the grief and the, the, the experience that I went through with that, I never had a place to hold for that. And when I said those things, like everything came, it was just like all these feelings that I hadn't allowed myself to feel. Then all of these like questions, well, okay. If I release the shame from it and I'm allowed to walk into this, 
well, what is, what is the, the reality of these situations without the shame? So I really think it's important for people. It was important for me. It was a, an important, it was a huge step to my healing process and moving forward to, to not only acknowledge, but to investigate and then to find acceptance and forgiveness for all of these parts, you know, of the shadow that I'd been like, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm fine. No, I'm okay. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about shadow and, and, and the shadow work and all of that. And, and for those of us or those of, uh, yeah, those of us, because I don't uh, feel I have a full understanding. What is really a shadow? I mean, why do we call it a shadow? And and what is a shadow? Because there's a lot of talk about it. And I feel like um, some people may be confused. Yeah, yeah. So shadow is a term that was coined by Carl Jung. He was um, one of the fathers of psych- modern psychology. Um, I want to say in the 60s or 70s, he coined this term and he Um, basically states that the shadow is the part of our personalities that the ego has deemed undesirable. So you have to take a step back and explain, well, what is the ego? The ego is our buffer between our true self and the outside world. So ego is, I think ego gets a bad rap. Um, We think the ego is bad. The ego has to die. What we really have to do is integrate the ego. So the ego, so when when we are children, um, we're like in the most sensitive state of our lives, right? And sometimes our parents know how to show up for us and sometimes they don't. And that's not, that's not even like malicious. Sometimes it's just not a line that our parents are not prepared for the type of child that they that they're given. And so in those sensitive times, there are things maybe that the child is, it feels like they didn't get, um, or sometimes um, that's protection. Sometimes it is love. Sometimes it is, um, you know, a safe space, a safe environment. Um, And then sometimes there's things that the child is given that they are not equipped to handle like physical violence, abuse, um, you know, witnessing certain things, witnessing um, things that they are not at a, a, an age to to really process. So, what the ego does is say, "I'll protect you. I'll never let those things happen to you again." So, we begin to ego is like our where we begin to cope and build stories up. So, you cried all by yourself this night. You're never going to do that again. Ego is like we're going to build up stronger coping mechanism is nobody's ever going to see you cry again. You're never going to feel um, like you want somebody and they're not going to come to you. So ego starts to build this really protective barrier for us to protect us from the outside world. So those things never happen again. What happens in the process of it is that ego says, all right, you wanted somebody you weren't being needy, right? So you wanted a mother to come and hold you. You wanted a mother to um, to nurture you or tend to you, and you didn't receive that. So it says that your neediness and your need for nurturing 
is maybe undesirable. So in order to cope, ego says we're not going to be needy anymore. It goes into the shadow, right? So these certain things become shadow. Um, uh, Other things that, you know, and that can be, it can really be so many different things for different people, depending on what their, um, what their inner child experience and not just child, but as a teenager, as a young adult to where, you know, up until about like age 25 um, is really where we kind of suppress those things. Um, You know, for me, I had a lot of, in my shadow was a lot of like self-hatred because I never felt like I looked how I was supposed to look. And I never felt like, I really fit in or I didn't understand myself. And it was this like, gosh, I don't like you. But on top of that, I covered it up and like acted like everything was fine. Right. So as I uncovered this, I was like, wow, I have this like real self-hatred. All right. This is a space that I can heal in and explore and explore the stories that I've told myself about that. Well, no, I don't look maybe like I thought I should look, but what does that matter? I look exactly how I'm supposed to look. You know, Mm -hmm. I love myself in spite of being different, you know, so you begin to heal by telling yourself these stories. And I think the most powerful part of it is that I really realized was that I had, you know, trauma from my parents. I had trauma from um, my first like boyfriend, um, my first sexual experience. And I had for so long been putting the blame and the weight on them. They were these monsters. They were these terrible people. They did this to me, but that never healed anything. Taking the accountability for what I needed in those times, what I didn't experience, forgiving myself for needing those things, forgiving myself for coping the way that I did brought me so much. It just freed up so much space for me to then just live. So as I understand when I'm listening to you about the shadow and the ego, um, because I feel like there is a, a lot of misunderstanding um, in the way we use both of these, uh, because when we talk about ego many times, we we think it's bad because egoistic, you know, you're so your ego and, and you just think that you just want to run over everyone. And that's that's what basically ego is. But ego is actually there to protect us. And ego was uh, our friend to a certain point um, yeah. until we are ready to look at those shadows. Right. And and also what I'm understanding is a shadow shadows. Are, are different for everyone. Because when you say, you know, one of your deepest fears or, or deepest secrets um, was that, you know, you had an abortion. To me, when someone shares that to me, it's not, it's not a big deal. I don't look at it like it's a shameful thing. I don't understand how that could uh, actually, you know, prevent someone to be able to share that with others. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, um, when I'm listening to this, there's a lot of compassion that can come with understanding because sometimes when, when we think our 
suffering, our pain is deeper sometimes than someone else's because when they share their pain, we may be like, oh, that's nothing, right? But that doesn't, and, and, and in the same way, we can share our pain and suffering with someone else and they can, they can look at it like, oh, that's nothing as well because it doesn't resonate with them. So I think uh, this opens up a door to more compassion, more understanding uh, for everyone to be able to, to work through that. And I know that I had a big, um, you know, because... I mean, there's always someone who who has a harder life than you. There's always someone who has a better life than you. And if we just like keep comparing our shadows and our egos and everything, then there's really not that much healing going on because we may take on as saying, oh, it's not that bad. Why would I even feel so bad about my shadow? I I have nothing to complain about, but it's real. It is real. You can't take it away from from the from anyone that their pain is real and and it is not to discount on any level. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Doing shadow work really raises your compassion because once you can be able to even see for yourself and have compassion for yourself, which I think you are the hardest person for you to have compassion for. I think you begin to see other people as like, wow, maybe they're just trying their best too. Maybe they've been through things that nobody really knows about and it really matters the context. Yeah. Um, trauma is different for everyone. You know, as a doula, I see certain births. I've, I've seen moms have um, very similar birth stories and yet their perspective on the birth story is very different. And that's how trauma is. We can see, we can experience the exact same experience, right? Physically in our bodies, but energetically, there may not be a space for that energy to process out out for a person. So for me, like having the abortion, I felt ashamed of it because I was already a single mom and I felt like, well, damn, Lauren, can you get it together? Right. And it wasn't a shameful thing until I met my partner and I remember him saying something to me about it. He, um, he was, he basically frowned on on it and like looked down upon me and things like that. And I remember in that moment, so here's ego saying, we're going to tighten the lid on that and put that away. We don't ever talk about that again. Right. And because somebody who I thought loved me and cared about me, was judgmental about it. So I was like, oh, this is no longer okay to say, you know? Mm -hmm. And for a lot of my life, I was a people pleaser. You know, I wanted to cater to the, the, the vision that people wanted to see of me, the Lauren that people wanted me to show up as. Um, and so, yeah, it was like, well, I'm not telling people that Mm -hmm. (laughs) then they might have an opinion. Yeah. And when I'm listening to, you know, you know, these, uh, these patterns that we keep getting into when you said, you know, like, uh, you, you found yourself a couple of years ago, you're like, how did, how did I get back into this pattern again? It is so subtle because when I listen to you say this story, you know, that it, it wasn't shameful yet in for you until he had that reaction. Right. And if we're, if we're like true to ourselves in each moment, then we can stop that because that is 
part of where the pattern, where repeating that pattern starts, that very subtle little moment when you allow someone to make you feel that way in that moment. And then you create another layer of protection and not look that in the eye and say, oh, that didn't feel good. Why didn't it feel good at this moment? And why am I allowing this person to, and why am I even continuing with this person if this is how it feels in this moment, right? Yes. Yes. And the thing is, is that a lot of us don't have, we don't take the look in. So we don't even acknowledge the pattern. We think, oh, I, I'm just unlucky in love. Um, I attract these types of men. Um, you know, this is just what my, this is just, you know, this is the type of love that I like. I like love. That's like this. I like my relationships like this. Um, when in actuality, it's really, we are employing people in our lives. We're choosing people to play this one part for us over. And it comes through different bodies over and over again. I've had this same archetype of this domineering lover, uh, care provider that I'll employ into my life. And what happened? So I did through this, I read this amazing book um, called Attachment, and and I can't think of the author's name right now, but it's called Attached, or no, sorry, it's called Attached. It's an amazingly beautiful book, and I'll send you the author because I'll look it up on my phone. Um, the, the book really goes through attachment styles, and I started reading this, and I'm going, oh my gosh, it's like simple math. It's I am this anxious person when I become involved with somebody. I get anxious because I have these um, wounding, these abandonment wounds, just like open and not being tended to. So I put all of that onto my partner um, and I really give away all of my power to them. Well, that's nice and all at first, but then I'm, I'm choosing people that take that take advantage of that space and fully dominate me. And I go into full submission mode and this is how the abusive cycle happens. So that, that work has been life-changing to me because now I look at relationships a totally different way. And I'm more choosy about who I engage with because I'm like, ah, I see that I see you, you know, like we would jump into that pattern very easily. I could very easily see it. You know, you start to see the grenade from far away and then you start to choose the patterns that, you know, looking for a secure partner, a partner that um, is not interested in dominating in any sort of way, you know, and, and feeling safe in that way, instead of feeling triggered, a lot of us feel triggered from our attachment styles. We feel triggered and we think that it's love, but we're just triggering our wounding. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, there's so much coming up right now listening to you about this because um first of all, <laughs> you know, I, I I do encourage people to look look into the attachment styles and everything. And we just had not too long ago, I had a conversation with a group of women uh over our love language, right? Mm-hmm. The five love languages. And I realized that we're so smart that we actually are able to fool ourselves into into thinking these are certain these are you know this is this is my top two and but if I do further investigation I realize that that is that is how I want to present myself and that's what I keep telling myself and to other people 
And, but that is truly not my love language. My love language is actually the one that I'm trying to protect and stay away from because that will open me up. That will actually get, you know, get through this, this. So it basically comes down to when I'm listening to, you know, our conversation or you talking, um, it comes down to really understanding yourself first, first and foremost. So I see how, how, you know, this uh, meet your shadow uh, work, it's truly needed um, for everyone to really dive deep into all of this and, and get to know ourselves. And, um, and also I, I did, I did want to, um, you know, touch, and this was a, a, a little bit earlier when you were talking, you know, how sometimes, uh, we, cre- we have these wounds from childhood that are not intentionally done as from our parents, because they're just not, uh, ready for a child, a, a certain way. Right. And, um, that was a, that was a good point, even though I've heard that before, obviously, but that just kind of, um, uh, just, just drew a line from, I had a conversation with someone yesterday about, uh, my son and they, uh, I haven't seen this person that I was talking to. And he asked about my son, how he's doing. And I was, you know, I was, I was sitting there thinking, well, my son doesn't really want to talk to me that often, you know, he's 24 and, um, he's, he's, he's not very eager to reach out and neither am I there. It's, it's not there. The bond is not that strong, even though we had a really strong bond, uh, because I was a single mom with him for a long time. And, you know, I was sitting there and I, and what, what came out, uh, during this conversation, I was saying, you know, I, I was not aware of how sensitive, my son was. I was not aware that he was such a sensitive child. And I wasn't the kind of mother that um, could provide a safe environment for him um, for, for being such a sensitive child, because, you know, he was a big boy. He was born 10 pounds and uh, he's a boy. First of all, you know, that that's my conditioning. Like boys are tough. Right. So he was a boy. He was big. He was always like uh, and he's smart. And I'm like, you know, he's he's got it. He's he's a tough boy, but he's not. He's such a very, very sensitive child. And, you know, I can sit here and beat myself about, up about it. I it, it 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 hurts. I can't say that it doesn't because I would love to have a, a, a deeper connection. And it's not to say that we cannot, you know, um, maybe he will work through those uh, traumas that he has, you know, based on me mothering him the way I did. And maybe I can forgive myself as well. And then we can come together in a more loving uh, relationship later on. But I just wanted to kind of bring this out there because I, I'm you know, I hear that a lot from, from parents uh, is that we're so confused. Once you start doing this work, right. And you realize that, holy crap, we're such traumatized people. Uh, everyone is a traumatized person. And when you don't know, you don't know. And you're just thinking, right. you know, um, I'm doing what I'm, you know, you're so certain in, in being a parent, you know, what, you, what your child needs, because this is what you're, what you know 
But when you start doing this work, you realize that you don't know anything. We don't know anything. (laughs) And it is so confusing. And sometimes it can be such, um, you know, it can be scary for a parent. It's like, oh my gosh, holy cow, how am I screwing up my children at this moment? And so I want to, I guess I just wanted to kind of touch on that. And, and see what your take on that, because I do know that you work with mothers, uh, new mothers and everything. And, and to me, it's like, okay, I can be fearful and now so fearful that I'm paralyzed for, for, for really just, you know, diving into being a mother and just following my intuition and just saying, you know what, this feels right to me at the moment. And this may not be right for the child, but I'm okay with it because I'm doing it out of love. Yeah. Uh, as, as, as long as I'm not, you know, physically yeah. hurting or, or mentally abusive, but like, um, so, so in your experience, when people start doing this work, um, are they able to, how do this, how do they weave it into being a mother? Yes, I think that's an amazing question because yes, we can think of ourselves as as the child, but then yes, we're also the mother. A lot of times, um, I appreciate you sharing that about your son um, because I know it's not easy to share those things. You know, when we do have hard times connecting to our children um, and mothering our children as they grow older. My son, my oldest son, will be twenty next year, and um, we got into an argument not too long ago about car insurance. You know, he's in the space of being out on his own or whatever, but you know, I'm still paying for, for a couple of things for him and I want him to take these things on his own. Right. And so we got into this argument and um, he said something, he, he has said a couple things to me. And so I said, you know, we need to sit down whenever we're not connecting. I always say, let's sit down across the table from each other and go, go to dinner, share a meal. And so we do that. And what was coming up in me, what I had to share with him was, you know, I want you to know that I apologize or any way that I couldn't show up for you, any way that I didn't show up for you when you were growing up, I was a mess. I was, um, you know, in survival mode and I had no idea of the things that were terrorizing me internally. And, um, and, you know, for whatever that happened, Um, or any ways that you feel I'm open to you telling me, you know, I'm open to hearing them. Um, and he's like, Oh mom, you know, it's okay. But it was something that I, I just wanted to open up that door for him to, so he knew that there was space for him to, um, share his truth, whether it felt good for me or not. Um, and so I really think, and I had to do that. Even before I sat down with him, I had to offer myself compassion because I thought, oh my gosh, I've messed up my kid, you know, and I was a mess. I was a young mom. I was 19. I was like moving to Atlanta. I was single. I was navigating just my twenties with a child and, um, and I had to get offer myself compassion in that moment. So a lot of it, it all, I, I think all of the work comes back, back to being compassionate with the truth. 
um, being compassionate with your truth. And so, yes, um, you know, a lot of moms will feel like, oh, you know, other moms are doing it better or, um, you know, I've, I've screwed up my kid or whatever. And it's really important that we then have the conversation to talk about reality. And the reality is that, you know, nobody goes into motherhood really prepared for motherhood. That's one. It doesn't matter if you choose to have a child or not. No one is ready fully because you just can't be. Um, and we're navigating it one step at a time. And especially with your oldest child, it's like, you have no idea what you're really doing. You're like, okay, I'm going to just kind of feel it out. This is what I'm capable of right now. This is what I have the resources for right now. This is what I have the capacity for right now. And, you know, I think having compassion with yourself, but also creating space for them to tell their story, because I think it's important that we remember as mothers, we're supporting characters in their story. We're not the main character. Um, so it's not about us and it's, it's really about them. And just holding that space to say, yeah, like I, I was kind of a shitty mom sometimes. Like I really didn't want to come home and make dinner every night. We had Mo's maybe a little bit too much. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I I like to hear that when you said we're supporting characters in their lives, that they're the main main people, right? So that kind of takes away from from that feeling of shame and guilt and and you know wrongdoing uh going forward to our kids. Um so so that's good. And when I was, you know, hearing you say you know, you sit down with your child and say, um, you're welcome to express your feelings. That is uh, nice because that is a conscious parent, right? But many, but now if we, we look at, you know, our previous generation, uh, many times we don't get that acknowledgement. And um, I actually was talking about that just yesterday as well, um, that sometimes we're so yearning and I was this summer over the summer I was back in Europe and I haven't seen my parents in six years and I, I came there and I thought for sure that I would get them to at least acknowledge some of these pains that I have and I didn't get any acknowledgement I got denial and I I still hold this resentment and I still hold this hatred uh, towards these people because I just can't can't believe that they wouldn't love me enough to at least give me a freaking acknowledgement, right? So in my head, it makes no sense and there's so much hatred. Yet I do know doing this work that the hatred is only doing harm for myself uh, and I need to free myself from this hatred. Um, but it's so damn hard because the focus is still on them. And when you say that they're just supporting characters, I also have to take that into account and look back that way. And it's like, okay, they were the supporting characters, but who's the main person? The main person is me. And now I have to choose, do I want to go on with this or not? So is this part of the shadow work as well? Forgiveness towards oh, this. Yeah. And if, if it is, how do you, you know, I've, yeah, just uh, I'm getting ready for interviewing Wayne Dyer's daughter, and I was so I was reading his his uh, or book, and I remember his his um, turning point in life when 
when he went by his father's grave and and he was he was going to actually piss on his father's grave he was so freaking pissed at him right um and then something just called him back he turned around came back and and said i forgive you and that was like the turning point in his life and that's when he became wayne dyer um as we know him and um I know that that forgiveness has to happen. It's I, but I haven't been able to bring myself to that point yet. So I'm wondering if uh, you've had an experience like that, and have you been able to forgive, or do you do you guide uh, people through that? Yes, yes. You know, the the act of forgiveness is absolutely powerful, and I think. Again, we're constantly looking outside of ourselves to forgive somebody and like move on. But the most powerful place that you can forgive is in yourself. And and so, you know, like you said, that these are supporting characters. They're really these placements that are there in our lives to activate certain parts of us. So does it feel good and how they respond to us? No, but it's activating something within us. I also think that it's totally possible for your parents to be, for you to be born more emotionally mature than your parents. And that's also an acknowledgement. And so like, you know, forgiveness to me is first and foremost, like forgiving myself for feeling the way that I felt in those moments. Um, so, you know, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of what holds the shame is, it's like this two way street. It's like the shame holds everything bottled in, but if we can open it up and like, I forgive myself for getting into this situation. I remember I was in a physically abusive situation. I couldn't leave because I was so ashamed to tell people that I was in it in the first place and I needed help getting out. But when you take the shame away, then you can communicate that and find acceptance for it. And in fact, that course, we go through acceptance and, and rewriting and then offering ourselves forgiveness. But I really think it comes with tapping into what the reality of the situation was, not just your perspective as a child, Um, tapping into the reality of the whole situation. Um, You know, for me, my mom wasn't ready for another child. She wasn't in a healthy relationship. She was very young. She didn't know really what she was doing. Um, And she, she wasn't ready for me. And here's my little spirit, like I'm coming through and I'm busting in there and things like that, you know? And so that's my story. I was meant to be here. And I've even gone so far to have this conversation with my mom and say, I'm sorry for busting in here so hard. Like I forced myself upon you because I was so excited to get back to earth and do this work. You and my dad were this opening, you were a portal for me. So Thank you for that. She broke down sobbing when I told her that Um, because she holds guilt for, for, you know, just how she raised us also. And I think that generation has a lot of guilt and the shame stays on top. You know, that generation is like, never let your kids see you cry. Never let your kids see you sweat, you know, never admit any fault. That's like their thing, which is completely unhealthy. And we know it. Um, 
but if, if they could even make peace with the fact that they weren't that great of parents, that there were some things that they were magnificent at, and there were other things that they were shitty at, just like us, right? I've been a great mom in these ways. These are some ways that, you know, I, I maybe I just couldn't get, get it together in, in the amount of time, right? And the timeliness that the child needed. So the forgiveness piece, you know, I forgive myself for being in that situation. I forgive myself for how I coped in that situation. I forgive myself for not being loved in that situation. I forgive myself for even telling myself the story that I wasn't loved, you know, because I love myself. Right. And that's the truth. Um, and so, yeah, I just think it, when you, when you offer yourself that like radical forgiveness for things that you've done, and it really takes you taking accountability also taking accountability for the part that you play, accepting that it happened like that, then forgiving yourself. There's no, there's nothing else. The next step is like, you don't even have to, because now you see yourself so clearly, then you see them more clearly. Okay. They're, they're just like me, only they probably needed a lot of therapy and never got it. They probably needed an Instagram reel that had wellness memes on it and they never got it. Nobody ever talked about these things. And and that's the thing that I I look at with my parents. And I used to think those are excuses and I'm not letting them off the hook, but it's the truth. It's the truth. And I think as you grow, you realize that your healing is nobody's responsibility, but your own. It's not their responsibility. And when we continuously put it onto them, we're really releasing our power. We're not taking accountability and we're delaying really living a joyful life because we're waiting on people that are never going to do it for us in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, even if they were like, I love you. And that, and you know, I never met any of the things that I did. That's still not going to be as relieving as you making peace with it yourself. You're so right in this because this is true empowerment when we are able to take all that, all this back. Because when you say, you know, even if, if they did say that, who is to say, you know, who is to say that my mother would just, you know, give me that acknowledgement and everything would be good. And I could be like, oh, I can move on. Maybe I'll then, then I'll have another story to, to come across and say, well, well, if you know it now, how come you didn't know it then? So what comes to me when I listen to this is that um, perhaps there is that forgiveness, forgiveness that can be done for us to, to actually have an expectation of someone that is an unrealistic expectation. And this could be an expectation of a parent. This could be an expectation of a lover. This could be expectation because sometimes we put them on a pedestal and, you know, I've done this. I I know that I've done this with my partners Um, unconsciously yet consciously. I did put them on pedestal because I, I, I wanted to hold them at this level and I refused to see them at the level that they were. And then the whole struggle comes because I want them to show up like this, like I, 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 I expect them to. 
and they're not able to. And then, then there's the resentment and there's the hatred and there's all the struggles that we go through because we're not true to ourselves and say, okay, yeah, maybe I can see this, but maybe they can't see it yet for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe, maybe, you know, who am I to say that they get it. I it, it didn't take. It took me a, a, a while to get this, to this point. And like you said, you know, we have, we live in a world. We live in times where there is more. This information is more available to us. So that brings me back to. I was going to ask you, uh, in your experience, because you're offering this virtual course you know, meet your shadow. And then you also do retreats. And, and when you do that, it, it happens in, um, well, I'm, I'm assuming the, the course also happens in, in a group setting. Um, so, you know, when we're on this path, we're told sometimes you just have to do it on your own, right? Like everybody has to heal on their own. I, I do feel that, that that is very true, but sometimes I can sense that maybe, having um, a group that you can kind of be a part of. And and then I feel like that will open up a little more um, uh, compassion uh, mm-hmm. towards us as well, because then we may, maybe there's going to be a person there next to you sitting who is, who is a mother, mother figure, right. Uh, who is an older woman who will be able to share their shadow. And then you realize, Holy cow, that is, that is my mother that I, I, and, and she would never be able to do this and, and how hard it is to, for them to share this. So I feel like now I'm kind of convinced that, that, you know, I'm, I have my doubts about groups and, and retreats and stuff. So I'm kind of convinced now that there is a, a, a very valuable component to that. Yeah, I think healing happens in community. I think healing is a communal thing. I think healing is, I don't think healing can happen in isolation. Um, and I say this because it's like um, learning to drive a car, sitting here and pretending like I'm driving a car. I'm going to make a left turn. I'm going to turn on my blinker. I'm going to turn. I'm going to hit the gas, right? You don't learn how to drive a car until you're driving a car in the streets and you're navigating, right? So it's the same thing. You can read all the books by yourself. You can do all the work by yourself. You can journal by yourself. But it takes an engagement with other human beings to actually practice what you're learning and what how you're healing. So you make a great example. This person next to me, wow, she sounds just like my mom, but I have compassion for her because I see her not as my mom. She's not on this pedestal. I don't see her as my mom. Another beautiful thing about being in community for healing is that is, is not seeing your mother or your father or anyone else in other people, seeing yourself in other people, hearing somebody say the words that you have not been able to find, um, is hearing people say things out loud. You know, when I said the thing in the, in the circle that I had had an abortion, these like five, six other women were like, yeah, I had one. I had one too. I had one. You know, it's like it, 
it opens the door when we, when we hear each other, it's, it's this reminder, like, you, first of all, you're not alone. It's an illusion of aloneness. A lot of us feel lonely and separated, but that's an illusion. The truth is that we are all one. We're, we're all different expressions of divinity of source energy expressing itself in different ways. And but to sit across from somebody or sit in a circle or sit in a group and somebody says the things, I think that is so incredibly powerful. You know, at um, my studio, we had a lot of um, moms groups and we would sit and, you know, um, just hearing, I think it's important. Like when, when one mom would be like, I don't think my baby likes me, you know, you might not feel like that is a safe thing to say. A lot of moms don't feel safe to say that. She says that. The other moms are like, yeah, I totally get that, right? I totally get that. And then it, what does it help to do for this person who has taken this risk to say what's truly on their heart and how they're feeling and what how they're processing this transition is, okay, <laughs> this is not a bad feeling. It just is a feeling, you know, it is a thought. Um, it's not good or bad. It just something that passes through the minds of moms after they have their baby or, um, you know, a, a, a lot of my clients will just say like, this is just too much, but I don't want to compare it to, you know, but I know it could be so much worse or I know, um, you know, I really don't have it that bad. This is really hard. And I say, no, it's hard. It's challenging. You're being really challenged right now. And so I think the, the group helps to give context to what we're moving through. It gives context in the human experience that it's, you're not some outlier. There's a great exercise. Um, Dr. Charlotte Castile, Ca Charlotte Castle, she has a book called If the Buddha Married. And in it, there's an exercise and you go into a busy space. And um, and I used to do this because my son used to fly back and forth to Illinois when we moved down to Georgia. And I used to do it in the airport and um, you go in a busy space and you sit and you look at each person as they walk by. And you acknowledge that this person has had all of the heartbreak that I've had, experienced all the pain that I felt, maybe in different ways, maybe different depths. They feel all the joy, the pleasure, like the love that I feel. You begin to see human beings as we're all living this very similar existence. We may have different ways of coping with it, but we're all living this very similar experience and that there truly is oneness, even with our parents, with our children, that we can take the perspective. Ego wants to say, no, they're not like you, or you're not like them. They're worse than you. You're better than them, or you are worse than them. They're better than you. Okay. So that's like ego separating you. The truth is we're all one. We're all just different expression. And I think that frees up a lot of space and why it's so important for community, why it's so important to just be around. I know it's been so helpful to me to, to join circles again um, and to sit and not lead them, but to be able to sit and really absorb and be a student and be there for just myself. Mm -hmm. It's it's really hard for me to to be in and I and I'm I'm trying to figure out what it is that I mean it definitely is the ego but what part what what is 
beyond that, you know, what is the root cause of, of the fact that I can't, I don't let myself relate. You know, I always want to, even though sometimes I hear different stories and I see the, the tears and all of that, and I'm not letting myself be able to say I relate. I still want to keep myself separate in, in a, in a way that I, I still want to hold on to that belief that my suffering is stronger and it's more than these people and therefore I cannot we don't have a common theme and therefore I don't belong here so something still wants to keep it separate so so I would ask you a couple questions I would ask you when was the first time that you felt like that when was the first time in your life that you felt like you couldn't share something with another person because you felt like they just wouldn't understand or that they didn't understand you. You know, those are the questions that we really have to ask ourselves um, because it's most likely a, a pattern that you're activating that you are reflecting just in that circle, that there may have been a time in your life where Nobody understood the pain that you were going through and, um, and truly, or didn't, didn't hold space for what you were going through. Maybe there was a time when you did express yourself and you said all of the things, um, and people shut you down. Right. So it can be that fear that if I am truly vulnerable, that this group is going to look at me or I'm all of a sudden going to be this alien in the group. Um, and I'm going to expose myself. I'm going to expose myself for maybe I'm not as strong as I show, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe when I really say how I really feel and my insecurities, I'm going to sound like whatever I felt like back then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're touching on something because when you say that, I realize that there is also a link to, you know, how I said that I never realized that my son was very a sensitive child. I didn't realize that in him because I was uh, refusing to realize that in myself, mm. that I'm a, I'm a sensitive person. So to me, I feel like when, when you were talking, the fear maybe for me is that I will be, I will find out that possibly my suffering is not as harsh. Like it wasn't like a, a, a something that everybody would look at and say, wow, I couldn't have ever gone through that. But I experienced it in a, in a way. And maybe, maybe there is a shame that I am a very sensitive person and maybe that real, you know, translates in my mind to a weak woman and I don't want to show up as a weak woman. I want to, you know, so there are so many freaking different layers to this. So I, I see that, you know, this digging and, and really asking the questions and not just make, uh, make assumptions. Um, so anyway, I know that we're coming to an end and I wanted to end it with, um, with one question I do have, I know that you're doing goddess retreats, healing, retreat healings in uh, the Dominican Republic, right? So yes. two questions I had is, um, first of all, why do we feel that we need to go to a, um, um, you know, tropical place and have like a retreat, a get away from reality to be able to heal? And what is the all this talk about goddess? I just, I, it's just like, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't resonate with it yet. Okay. So I'll start with goddess 
goddesses and you know i could talk with you about goddess all day in all pagan religions the the, the from you know all of the very first time that human beings worshiped anything they worship the mother they worship the woman goddess energy is not a trendy thing it is the it is the um compatible and comp um, it's the yin and the yang right so it is the complementary energy to god energy god energy is the masculine energy goddess energy is the feminine and i truly believe that and i know that we are in an unsustainable energetic cycle on the earth we are way too masculine dominant um, and we have totally forgotten um, about our powerful, our power um, that is our mysteries and our intuitive um, uh, selves and our body wisdom and our sensuality and our um, our ability to create life, right? So, so there's, so in, in all pagan religions, the, the beginning of all life begins with the mother and patriarchal religion has hidden goddess from us. It, it has taken goddess energy and created this false duality of, um, so it's, it was God and goddess together, working here together. Right. And then it became God goddess, God, devil, right? And patriarchal religion. So where does goddess energy go? It goes, it's, it's demonized. So when, as that energy becomes demonized, now we see psychic energy is bad. It's evil. Like a woman being sensual is bad. Um, a, a woman who, you know, we hide birth, we hide death. Those are feminine. That's dark goddess energy. Um, the transmutation of, of all energy is dark goddess energy. And so we hide this from people so they really don't know that they have these capabilities you know like you said I don't want to be a sensitive person because that's a sensitive woman is a weak woman but that's not that's very much patriarchal beliefs and and, and toxic masculinity the strength the power of a woman in tune with her emotions and in tune with her intuition and in tune with her sensitivities has a power that that no man could ever have right so there men are logical the masculine is logical it's linear but but the feminine and the goddess is cyclical and intertwined and it's vast there's no up and down left or right and so it is my life's work to bring this energy forward um, in a way that supports modern human beings. Um, it's, it is helping them to be able to move into that energy and be able to tap into that energy um, so that they can flow with life, so that they can flow with where their life is going, flow with what you want. Um, you know, for me, I'm, I'm coming to a place where I want to be supported. I've been an independent woman for a long time. I've been really strong. I've been grinding it out for a long time. And I'm like, I, you know, and that's hard for me to get to because, you know, being in a masculine dominant society, I'm told be independent, do it all by yourself. Like you don't need anybody. You can do everything. 
And I'm really getting to the point where I'm like, if I am to go forward doing this work, I need support. I do, I do want a partner and I do deserve to have a loving partner who supports me and helps me to carry my work forward in the world. Um, as far as, you know, the retreats, um, I do believe that, you know, from a therapeutic standpoint, you you look at hierarchies of of treating people and the very first step in any um, rehabilitation plan, typically, if if there is a skill that is not developed and there's no awareness for it is is what we call in the therapy world is hand over hand. And that's when I literally take my hand and put your hand here and I help you draw the letter B, right? So as we do that a couple of times, you're like, oh, I can do this. I can do it by myself. Okay, now I want you to write the letter B in a word. Now I want you to write it in a sentence. Now I want you to write it in a pair. I want you to write a whole paragraph full of, you know, words that start with letter B. And now I no longer have any issues with letter B. So that is going on these retreats. What I've experienced is women have a very difficult time putting themselves first. The retreat forces them to confront themselves. The retreat asks them to not look away from themselves. So, you know, on my retreats, we don't drink alcohol. We're not, you know, we sit with plant medicine, but it's, a it, you're in this beautiful place. Yes. But it's time to confront yourself. So it's doing the shadow work and not being able to go, okay, I'm just going to distract myself by taking care of my kids or going to work. I'm going to focus and I'm going to sit and maybe I'm going to go sit in the hammock and think about this and listen to some music and, and allow myself to soothe myself through that allowing the feelings to come up because a lot of people don't want to do this work because they don't want to deal with the feelings that are going to come up, the feelings that they've been repressing for so long. I'm going to feel that anger again. Okay. Well, it helps when you are on in front of the ocean. The ocean is mother goddess energy. You know, she's, you hear her repetitive rhythms and she's nourishing and, and I'm going to sit here in the sun and I'm going to be okay. And I'm going to breathe. I'm going to move through these feelings. All right. Now I'm going to journal. Um, and so really the retreats are that hand over hand, um, first step. It's not, I don't believe that any one thing really has this like boom, what, um, and changes, it might change your life if you're willing to come home and continue the work. So that it, it's not meant for people to come and you're healed when you leave. I hope that when, um, people leave my retreats, they feel like they have some structure and some direction as, and, and more questions for themselves, um, to move into when the shit storm of life comes back into play. Like, okay, I have some good practices that I learned. I had some good, um, you know, affirmations that I created for myself or good understandings or here's some things I want to focus on. Um, and so the retreats are that. And, and you know, they're certainly not meant to be the one, t- the, the magic pill. I don't believe in a magic pill at all. 
That's a great explanation. Um, and that is that is it. I I do appreciate your time. I'm super, super excited that we were able to do this. Yeah. It took a, a few tries. I really appreciate it. Um, and yes, this is definitely something that I was looking for. And uh, I will post all the links to your website, to your Instagram, and um, people can get in touch with you because I know that there is going to be interest in working with you further. So thank you so much for your time, Lauren. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. This was really great. It's great to connect with you again and definitely great to connect to you on these topics. Thanks so much for listening to Addicted to the Man. My wish and my desire is to normalize authenticity and full transparency and to be a catalyst for change and self-liberation. To connect with me further, go to my website at hennykovac.com and you can also find me on Instagram at thehennykovac. And please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.